Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone, and welcome along to Seeds Podcast. I'm really glad you could join me today because we get the chance to speak with Anao Masui Henry. Now, she first moved to New Zealand when she was a young child from Tonga. So we're going to hear a lot about her upbringing, what it was like to be an immigrant in New Zealand, and living really within two cultures at once. And we're also going to hear about a number of initiatives that she's involved with now to empower Pacific people. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I'm sure that you will as well. Make sure you check out the show notes because I've put in a whole bunch of links as well to the things that Anau is involved in. And if you enjoy this episode, don't forget that there's more than 190 in the back catalog. What we're doing here is building up a database of inspiring people who are doing amazing things with their lives. And my goal is that every week, you'll be quite surprised at how different the person is from the week before. Yet the consistent theme across all the interviews is that these are people acting with purpose. If you want to find out more about Seeds, then check out theseeds.nz. And if you're listening in a podcast app, why not hit subscribe? Now let's get into this interview with Anau. So it's a pleasure to welcome Anau Masui Henry to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephen. Um, it's great to have you here. And I love the title that you have um, within LinkedIn. It says that you're an advocate for the advancement of Pacific people. So rather than a specific title, that's a really nice broad brush of the things that you're involved in. Yeah, I think it's um, actually my husband uh, came up with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess when you're wearing so many hats, it's, it's hard to define what you are. So he just captured really why I do the things that I do. And it was, so I really owe that to my husband. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, what we do on the podcast uh, is that we just are hearing about people's stories, their life journeys. And then through hearing about that, we're learning about their backgrounds, their perspectives. But then that usually helps us to understand why they do what they do today. So in your case, I'm really keen to understand a bit of your history, your background, and um, what's led you to take on this role. And so if we could go back in time and just tell us a little bit about your childhood, like think of age maybe four or five years old, where were you and what was that like? Yeah, so going back to childhood, my family and I, we migrated here from Tonga. I'm the youngest of seven. So my siblings are much, much older than myself. So out of all of us, I was the only one that kind of grew up in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at home, we still speak very much uh, a lot of Tongan, still very Tongan in our approach to life, you know, even now. But when I think back, yeah, we moved here. We were overstays for a while and it was you know, we, we didn't have much whatsoever. And then on top of that, the language, the language barrier of my parents. And it was actually a really challenging, it was really challenging growing up. I probably saw a lot of things that normal kids probably didn't see. Yeah, and, and, you know, and I just had this conversation with my husband yesterday. I, we talked about how fortunate our kids are that we get to take them out to the park. We get to take them out, you know, like get out of Auckland, We've done so many trips with them um, because my husband's American. We've lived in America. We, uh, we lived here in New Zealand. And then my husband and son were just in Tonga before lockdown. And now they're back. But it was definitely a very, very challenging 
upbringing. On top of that, navigating this this Western space was really challenging mm. for for my parents. And so, if you're coming in, you know, you're you're going through the the New Zealand education system and coming home to a very Tongan way of doing things, there was always this clash. And so, if my parents didn't quite understand it, it could be taken the wrong way. Been through a lot. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, I'd love to hear a little bit more because this is the thing about the podcast. We get to hear different perspectives. And so for many people listening, they won't obviously have experienced what you experienced as a young child, as an immigrant. So can you just back up a little bit even more for your parents? What was it that led to their decision to come to a new place like New Zealand? I think it was the new opportunity having a big family, wanting, wanting the kids to actually have a really good education and, you know, create a new life for themselves that was better than what we had back in the islands. So we were brought here for that reason, um, for, for our education, really. It was quite challenging. I remember growing up, you know, pretty much we had the basics, like bread and butter. So if you had marmite or jam, that was like a big deal. Or if we had visitors overseas who came through because they were getting their residency or they were in the middle of trying to get their visa stuff sorted in America, they stayed with us. And it was crazy. Like I remember one time we were so packed here that a brother slept in the bathtub, a brother slept in the cupboard. We, there was always a lot of us, all the girls in one room, um, all the boys in the other, pretty much every space in our three bedroom house was occupied, including the kitchen, including the bathroom and the corridor, <laughs> the corridor cupboard. And, and I remember sometimes getting bored because we, we just had bread. So mm. then what I would do <clears throat> is that in the morning, I'd toast the bread. And the, for lunchtime, I might just eat it not toasted. And then the afternoon, I'd make shapes just to make it feel like it was different. Yeah, so it was, um, it was interesting. But my parents, they're really hardworking. So, you know, we managed. And then, you know, in, in all of that, everyone, I guess, as adults, all the adults had their own thing that they were dealing with. Every individual was trying to like navigate and trying to find their place in this new society. So yeah. with that came a lot of frustrations, came a lot of, I guess, um, anger and just all that kind of heavy stuff. And honestly, I think for myself as a, as a child, I dealt with it. It was, it was honestly um, God, really, to be honest. And I remember, you know, as, as, and, and with the Tongan culture, we can be, you know, there's a lot of respect and hierarchy in it. For myself being the youngest, it wasn't always easy to voice how you felt. Right. Or if things weren't right, it just, it wasn't always appropriate to say yeah. it. But I really found solace in, in the Bible. And I, I remember there were some turning points in my life where I went to the Bible one time because I was so sick of being almost like you exist, but you don't exist. Mm-hmm. Like you're there, but you're just not really there. And when you're 10, like, how do you deal with that? And then you're going to like a, a primary school and, you know, they're always fighting. I was like a little tomboy as a, as a girl. Mm-hmm. I was always fighting with boys. And, you know, you, you take what you're feeling at home and you just let it out in primary school. And I honestly dealt with that by reading the Bible. But I wasn't a Christian at the time and I didn't. But it was the only thing I, I had that I felt like helped me overcome what I was feeling at the time. Yeah, that's amazing. I think for, you know, even just thinking about language and, you know, coming to a new country where it's not your first language, that, that must have been quite a transition as well, right? Yeah, it was the language and it's, it was the way things were done. So, you know, you, 
you know, you go to school and you get taught, oh, you know, you have a voice. You have every right to have a voice. You, yourself, you own yourself and how you think and feel. But then, you know, coming home, that, that wasn't how it worked. Mm. So then you go to school and they didn't understand why you were so abrupt and um, disruptive. And then you come home and it was just like this weird having to, having, I've navigated the world now, oh, thank goodness. But like when you're young and then you go and become a teenager and then you're in your early 20s, it is, it's a massive struggle. And if you don't have the right support. And when I look at our, honestly, if I look at our suicide rates, I can understand why they're so high mm. with our Pacific and Maori um, youth because it's such a, t- a tough time. And if you don't have the right support, why would you want to be alive? And if you don't have God on top of that to really give you that sense of hope, mm. then it's so easy just to want to check out. So it was pretty, it was pretty heavy, pretty dark growing up. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even and though I'm, I'm just, laughing now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you look back and you realize that those are the things that shaped you, right? And that's who you've become right. as a result of all of those hard times. And yeah, that's certainly, I think most of us looking back, it's the, it's the hard times that we grow through to become who mm. we are rather than the easy times. So, yeah. And just, mm. I'm really curious just about tongue and culture itself. Can you describe a little bit about what, what are some of the elements there that, that really make it distinctive or unique or different, both, both positive and, and negative, I guess? Um, I, you know, I think the positive is we're very, we're very proud of our history and we, we do honor women. In our, in our culture. Mm-hmm. So in the family hierarchy, the sister's always, you know, higher than the brother. Um, and there is, we honor women um, and we also honor our men, like there's a role for both and the men as leaders. So for example, in the family, um, in the family, the nuclear family, the sister may be higher in ranking than the brother, but the land and Tonga will always go to the oldest son. Right. And the reason being is that then the oldest son, traditionally, they then look after the land, grow the crops and divide and make sure the, the rest of the siblings are fed and looked after. And I love that about the Tongan culture. It's very deep in its, under, in its culture and its um, cultural heritage. And, you know, we're very proud. We love the fact that we've never been colonized mm-hmm. in the Pacific out of all the nations. Um, beautiful singing beautiful people, very hospitable, and we can laugh, I think. We can laugh at anything. <laughs> we can go through some crazy stuff, but, uh, you know, we can, we can laugh. And, um, and I, you know, like with anything, like, for example, the, the sister and brother relationship, you know, there's always, people always take it to the extreme. So sometimes you'll get, like, the, the, the sister who uses that, um, her ranking just to, do anything she wants in her brother's in her brother's kitchen or take pots or take food or you know um not always the case but there's always that and then sometimes with the hierarchy stuff can be a bit challenging in terms of um coming up with new innovative thinking mm-hmm. because it can hold you back if you're in a tongan setting and you've got that tongan mindset and i i do when i'm when i'm, I'm you know within the community like I am really respectful. And even though in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I don't think that's quite right. Or if we, if we just turned it a little bit this way, man, we could be really tapping into this part of the market or whatever. If there's that, if there's that sense of hierarchy, I, I, I just 
Right. I don't like to disturb the peace. So there's a sense of sense of deference to the to the elders or the the people who've yeah. a little bit older and yeah. Yeah, and you know, maintaining um, good relationships is really really important. Mm-hmm. Which which is awesome, and I love that about our Tongan community that we can do that, and that's why we look after our elders and look after one another. But just the flip side of that is that sometimes that you end up being voiceless, and you're right. so used to not speaking that you go to university, and you're expected to talk. Being assertive is speaking it out and raising your hands, but because you've just been raised that way, um, it's hard. And then the you know lecturers would think. Oh, they're just quiet or they're not engaged, but it's not. It's just, mm. we're listening. <laughs> we're just, that's the only flip side is sometimes you're not as confident in your voice. Yeah, which must, yeah, it's an interesting yeah. challenge. And I think we'll probably come back to this through the interview is this this difference in cultures, right? Between the New Zealand yeah. or the Western ways of doing things, which is, it is sort of put yourself out there and raise your hand and things as opposed to island ways of doing things maybe. That's right. Mm-mm. So let's take you back then sort of coming through teenage years. Was it continued to be difficult? Like, were you getting a sense of your own identity at that time? Did you know that you were like, how did you think of yourself? I'm Tongan in New Zealand or I'm a Kiwi whose family comes from Tonga or how, how did that work from, from your perspective? Um, as a teenager, I, I always saw myself as a Tongan, just mm-hmm. a Tongan. I didn't have New Zealand citizenship. So I was just a Tongan living in New Zealand. Um, but then I went to Oahu College, third and fourth form, and everyone's Tongan or Samoan or Raro, like the Pacific Islands there. And it was crazy. I mean, I got suspended in Oahu College. I, I hated school. Um, and I was good at school, which was the funny thing. Mm. But I, I just, there were all these questions that people just couldn't answer. And I felt like because I came from like not a wealthy family, because I was a little bit abrupt, it was almost like you don't deserve to ask those questions. Like I didn't have the credentials to back up my own voice. Mm-hmm. And I asked a lot of questions, you know, like why, why, why are we poor? Why, why, why do things have to be like this? Like how about if I don't want to do it like that? How about if we try it, you know, but when not everyone appreciated that. <laughs> and Getting suspended at Oahu College was crazy because then I got sent to Epsom Girls. Who gets suspended at Oahu and gets sent to Epsom Girls? <laughs> um, grandma school. It was it was it was such a different world. Mm. Like the when I when I was at Oahu, the 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 conversations were usually around like your violent family member, um, really like a lot right. of sexual abuse. A lot of sexual abuse, a lot of smoking weed, a lot of really, really painful experiences. And so we were just used to always talking like that, like, oh, we have a sexual abuse. Oh, yeah, you know, this happened. And oh, yeah, this happened. It was just very normal. Um, mm. And fighting all the time, boys and girls. And we just didn't know how to deal with our emotions or how to, um, with the experiences we had experienced so far in our life. But then going to Epson Girls, it was like a completely different world. Like, everyone, you know, I felt like everyone was always in holiday. People come back from Morocco. <laughs> 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 and it was like so completely different. You know, girls had their own cars and they were shaving their legs. And <laughs> they had boyfriends and, and the girls, they were feminine, you uh-huh. know. Yeah. Um, they were going to parties. Um, 
So even though you'd been living, you'd been living in New Zealand, but you'd been almost part of almost a subculture within that, not exposed to those sorts of things. And then when I went to Epson, I was like, oh my gosh, like there's this other world. These Mm. people, they're like, they're confident and they talk and they have parties and they have boyfriends. It was just like completely different. Um, How did (laughs) you feel about that? Did you feel intimidated or do you feel like, wow, there's a a world I didn't know myself or? I think it just raised even more questions like why? Why why are we struggling so much with all this stuff out out South South Auckland? Mm. Like why, why, like why is there this difference? Why is it like why how how have you guys been okay? Why are you guys able to go out and have nice lunches and like why like why am I here God like what is this all about um and questioning the teachers all the time like why do I need to learn about James Cook? Mm. James Cook didn't navigate the Pacific Ocean. my ancestors did, but some didn't really like it um it was the same report as at College are now very disruptive but I had real questions like, why do I need to learn about the Hiroshima bomb? Is this going to have an impact on my life? Can you just explain it to me? But because I had been suspended from Odahu, had come to Epsom Girls, I felt like there was just this label on me. Mm. But that didn't stop me. I, I didn't care. Like I, I was like, man, well, you know, if I'm looking right now in the natural, I, I'm, I don't think I'm really any, I'm not anyone. So I might as well just keep being myself. Yeah. So what age were you yeah. about this time? What age was that? Uh, teenager, 16. Yep. Yeah. And did you, find in the, did you find in the new school or the new environment, were there, was there people who were trying to understand or reach out or help you? Or? Um, there was one geog- geography teacher. She was amazing. Miss Papali'i. And she was, she was just understanding. And I think she understood Tonga, I mean, like Pacific kid humor. Like, you know, we were a little bit naughty, but we were always a little bit funny, but always being silly. Like, she understood that, and, and she didn't make it a big deal. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, and, and so it was, I'm really fortunate for my time, actually, that I was at Epsom Girls, because it showed me a world that I could live, really. Mm-hmm. And had I never gone to that school, I would have not known that that world existed because you're not exposed to it out here. But at least for myself, I wasn't. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? How they're, you know, because presumably it's not that far from where you were to where you were then going, you know, geographically not very far, but in terms of mindset and the ways of thinking or, you know, the opportunities that they had had quite, quite different, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so different. And, and I just remember thinking, oh, wow, this is crazy. Like, it, it was like, all of a sudden you're in, the, in this world that, I don't know, people had wealth. Yeah. 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 And, and were you getting some answers or were you coming to realization that, I don't know, this is what I would like? Or was it more of a, they've got it, but they're not happy either? Or... Yeah, how was that for you? It was a bit weird because I remember one girl. There was a, it was it was a lot of prom, promiscuity. Like there was a lot of it was very promiscuous in some sense. Like man, there was some crazy stories. And I'm a young teenager from out south. We were battling, like fighting, 
and then you come into Epson girls girls are like losing their virginity very very young you know um and that's one thing that stood out for me and I just remember thinking man I'll kind of stick a little bit I'll, I'll hold on a little bit more to what we do out here mm. because at least I felt like we respected our bodies mm. um but then it you know like the you know on the other hand we were getting stepped all over and that was messing with our minds and building this like sense of like in- insecurity so it was like oh my gosh like how do I deal with this <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's fascinating actually I mean and did you yeah looking back like I guess it's a big question but how can we bridge some of those divides or how can we help people to see different perspectives and things and it's it's honestly just even doing stuff like this and just being able to just talk and not box ourselves into um one community or another like mm-hmm. and for myself and the network that's why I decided to start it because I, I I didn't feel like I was just I didn't want to be just in the Tongan or just in this or I wanted to be you know you want to provide something for the voices which is Pacific voices mm-hmm. but you want to also enable them and say hey this is the other world and you need to be able to know how to walk in that world if you're doing business like mm-hmm. our world is cool but let's learn about this other world as well and and I think doing stuff like, you know, your podcast is amazing yeah. and just being able to work together, really. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, then, I, and, I think and the same. That. Yeah, because that's why I'm doing the podcast, actually, is to hear different perspectives and, and that people can listen and then understand what it was like for you growing up. You know, they, would, they wouldn't have that opportunity. So I, I had an experience when I was 20. I moved to Japan and I lived there for a year. And obviously Japan is really different to Christchurch where I had grown up and, and it kind of like what you're describing, it kind of expanded my mind as terms of possibilities mm. and different ways of being and different ways of relating with other people. And, and I think it then helped me now dealing with other cultures and other ways. I kind of get that there's more than just what I grew up with. Mm. Yeah, that's right, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So take us through sort of the end of high school. Did you know what you wanted to do, you know, in terms of did you want to study something or did you want to travel or did you, did you? I wanted yeah. to be a dancer. I wanted to be a dancer, um, but it wasn't the thing because I came from a family that didn't have much. That wasn't going to be an option. You need right. to go and make money. And what's, there's no money in dancing. In, in their minds, there's no money in dancing. And um, it was really hard because then, you know, I finished, I finished high school and I felt like I needed to go into university, but I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like it was me. But then you're trying to please your family at home. And then, but I wanted to be a dancer. I was set on it. Um, I tried uni for a little bit. Uh, a year I think I did a Bachelor of Arts because everyone did a Bachelor of Arts if you didn't know what you wanted to do you just did a Bachelor of Arts Um, then I ended up um, contemporary dancing for a guy called Mikahaka Mm -hmm. and in doing that I got a scholarship to go to AUT but I hated it so I went to performing arts school um, the Excel performing arts school in New Zealand and uh, my family thought I was at AUT the whole time (laughs) <laughs> studying social science <laughs> <laughs> but actually and, um, you were off doing these other things huh? 
yeah I was dancing and it, it was hard because you know they I was really sure of what I wanted mm-hmm. but then you you had your family and you had to manage those expectations and I didn't know what to do so I just I had to lie about it yeah yeah and then you know I thought oh maybe I'll be I didn't really know what I wanted to do to be honest other than dancing and yeah. I thought you know what I can really make things happen and what dancing. did you what did you love about dancing what was it that yeah it was the freedom it was the freedom just to be whatever you wanted to be at that moment in time mm-hmm. and it was just you and the music and the music took you places that you couldn't be right now mm-hmm. and and i love that about um about about dancing actually yeah I, i've interviewed a few artists and um people who are on the stage and they talk about how they love that that element of performance that that you actually have almost a synergy with the audience and you can yeah. be playing an instrument or dancing or whatever and, and there's something magical that happens in that moment yeah that's right and it is it is it's it's a it's it's actually beautiful it's hard to describe really mm. but um but I enjoyed it. I, I liked it. It was an escape for me. Mm. Mm. And you mentioned that growing up, you felt like you were Tongan. Did you feel like Tonga was a call that you should go back there? Did you, did you go back to visit often at that time, like on holidays or was, or was New Zealand had become home by that time or? Yeah. I mean, growing up Tonga was definitely a calling for me. We went home like every, um, December holiday. Okay. Um, because we took containers and sold them secondhand goods and sold them in Tonga. And it was great. But then I was um we'd wake up early in the morning on Saturday, early in the morning, load the big trucks, go unload it and um stay all day in the sun. But Tonga's always been there, yeah, it's always been the hut. It's always been what I was about and growing up, I don't know, it, it, and it's never changed really. Mm. And even as an adult, when I left home and got married and had my own kids, we always went back home. It's mm. amazing to me, actually, that the way that it's such a strong hold for you that that it still is home, even though you yeah. basically grew up in New Zealand. You've lived in New Zealand a long time, but that that would still be home. Yeah, it's that connection to the land. You know, when I when I when I go home, my dad's from Vavau. So when we go to the cemetery and I look at him, I'm like, there's his dad, there's his dad's dad, his brother. It's it's like history right there. Yeah. And when I look at my grandmother, my dad's mum's side, and you know, it's like, man, it's it's like this is where it all began. Mm. All the dreams they had for us, all those all of that was right here in Tonga. Mm. And they worked hard and you know, for us we are we are living their dreams we're living those moments they prayed about for us mm. and so there's always that strong sense of it's just going back that root being rooted mm. yeah that's, i think it, in mary in mary it's often talked about whakapapa right like the your connection yeah, back through your ancestors and yeah it sounds like it's quite yeah. similar feeling for you as well yeah, it is. And that's probably why, a big reason why I never got my citizenship, my New Zealand one. Mm-hmm. When I was young, I was like, I'm not getting my New Zealand citizenship. I'm Tongan. What are you talking about? 
but you know now I'm a little bit more mature so I should probably go get it (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah it's it's, uh it's who I am and it's definitely a real big big part of what I'm about today no that's good well, yeah, I, I love to hear about people's identities. I, I think actually similar to you, so I have an accent, but I, I grew up in New Zealand, but my parents were from America. So I grew up mm. with this sort of two places because we used to go back to America for holidays and aunts and uncles are there and all of that. But for me, mm. I really feel like New Zealand is my Turanga YY or, you know, like this is where my identity is. And I've, I've mm. lived overseas a long time in different places you know japan and england and australia but for me this is always the place that i feel like a connection to um so it's interesting how it's amazing so for you you're you're dancing and your family doesn't know <laughs> what happened when they uh, found some, out <laughs> some dancing they have no idea i think i, I left home when i was 19 mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot going on and i i remember you know i i gave my life to god at 19 mm-hmm and then things just made, it was like this light came on in my life and things started being really clear about what I needed to do in order to make sure I'm okay. And so you mentioned, you things, mentioned that you read the Bible as a, as a child yeah. without having had that realization. What was it at 19 that changed for you? Was it people that you met or something different? Yeah, my best friend Jess, um, we met at Epsom Girls and uh, I was dancing and she said, hey, why don't you come check out at church there's this group called Jaira and then I came and I just sat at the back of the church and I watched and there was this Christian hip-hop group dancing but for God and then you know like it was it was a real it was like man look at these young people they're dancing for God like what am I doing who am I dancing for like and they and there was this confidence and this certainty around who they were as young people mm-hmm. And I felt like I didn't have that. So it was like the Holy Spirit definitely just hit me and I went, gave my life. And it's been a journey since then, really. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, we'll see if we come back to that as we go through, because I think those are important things to highlight. You know, what is it that helps motivate and and give inspiration? And um, certainly faith gives a different life perspective, right? (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what happened? What happened next? You you mentioned that you lived in America. Had you met your future husband at that point, or or yeah, bring us up to? No, so I, was, um, I was I was studying. I mean, like I was uh, dancing at nineteen, still dancing. Oh my gosh, how old was I? Twenty one, actually twenty one. I went on my first mission trip to. I was twenty. Went on my first mission trip to India, mm-hmm. and that blew my mind. You know, like. One, the fact that a poor Tongan girl in Mangere was able to go to India. Mm. Um, At that point, because I ran away from home, like I hadn't seen my family. So my parents, all they knew was I was off and I was with church people that kind of gave them a sense of like, okay, she's okay. But no one's ever stepped out of our world. So at the same time, they're still, they don't know where I am, what I'm doing, like who the heck is she with? And then I'm ringing my dad from India and I'm like, hey, me, I'm in India. <laughs> Serving the God, the Lord's purpose um, for my life. And it was a huge turning point for me because I thought if, I, if God can take me from nothing, literally nothing, and have me here right now in India, then, you know, like he can do anything. 
And I remember thinking that. And it was a huge turning point. I saw a lot of amazing, and then, you know, we were, there was, I think, 12 or 11 of us in the group. We were all young. The leader was, um, she was a young, she was young too, I think mid, early 20s. But the faith level was insane in that group. Mm. We saw things, people getting healed, and, you know, things like the mute talking. And um, we saw it really changed my life, that trip. Um, and then I came back and, uh, tried to I think everything was okay and it was hard because then I, I went to a new church and I didn't have any Christians in my family mm-hmm. so then what I found I was doing I felt like I was latching onto people like you see a Christian person like oh and then because I was new I didn't feel confident in my faith um, I just take everything they say like as it was as if they were God um, which in hindsight you know I've learned that that's not always the best thing to do <laughs> um, and you know some stuff really happened that really rocked my faith mm-hmm. and so it, I think I stopped going to church at almost 23 mm-hmm. like overnight I felt so hurt overnight I just stopped went from A to Z um, <laughs> and it's it's been like a journey coming back it wasn't until I had my son he's 10 now that I decided to come back and go back to church like for me it wasn't God like God was always real that element of who he is and what he's done in my life and how I knew him he was so real like just like you are real Mm. but I just felt like I didn't have faith in people right so there'd been disillusionment with the people and and yeah the the institution of the church rather than that's right rather than that's right God above the church huh? yeah and I was like man you know what God I don't know what's going on in the church I don't I have no idea I don't have a church family I mean, like I'm not a didn't come from a Christian family in the sense of being like born again because all, all Tongans are like religious we religiously grew up in the church mm. but my dad never went to church um so I just said man God I have no idea but you know what this is where I'm at and I know that you, you have me you you've got my back and we'll just take it as it comes mm. Yeah. And I love God like that. He's He's so real in that way, you know. Um. And I'm at I'm at Equippers Church now. Do you know Equippers? I've heard of Equippers. Yeah, there's one down here in yeah. Christchurch, right? Yeah. yeah, and I'm the one in the city, and just real. Like for me, it has to be real, like authentic, real, like the spiritual and the practical of everyday living has to meet and make sense. Yeah. And it has to balance. And so I'm really, really thankful for the people I've met there because I've, it's been a while and it's the first time I've felt I could just be me. Mm. Well, that's and all the weirdness. Important. That's pretty important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So just talk us through then to bring us up to speed because you said you had lived in the States for a while. Um, how did that come about? Or, or yeah, what was that like? Another culture? <laughs> Yeah, so I met my husband, I think I was 24. Um, that was during that time of almost 23 and 25, where I just went from good Christian girl to like the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. So I was going out clubbing, I was drinking, I was smoking, I was doing everything really, because I was so just disappointed with myself, with church and all that kind of stuff. And very extreme, true to my personality, I am quite extreme, always one or the other end. And um, in, in that darkness and those um, 
in the valley, I would say. You know, I found I found Todd really. And I remember when I first met him, I was I thought to myself, he's the non-Christian guy for me. Like I, you know, like he's it. And Todd didn't know that. And I only met Todd like for a month and already I'm like, oh, I think we're going to get married. And he honestly thought I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he thought I was crazy. And um, I think nine months, nine or eight months later, I fell pregnant to him. Mm-hmm. And again, that was like another, I remember a big point in my life where I just thought, okay, you know what? It's time to grow up. Get over yourself. It's time to let it go. And man, you have this pressure and responsibility of now raising a child um so thankfully Todd um you know still wanted to be with me um even though he'd only known me for nine months (laughs) (laughs) and yeah we got married later on that year so I got pregnant in July we got married the following year and then we moved to America stayed with his parents not with his parents but um on a property that his parents owned and that was like a crazy complete culture and that's that's Pennsylvania so it was um you know a lot of Amish and I don't know it was so different you know all my friends were like 50 plus was that in the countryside then like not in a main town yeah Yeah. not in not in a city no so we lived on a huge farm and it was nice and I just went with it you know I didn't have anything you know who am I I'm from Mangere I don't have anything going on I might as well enjoy this new experience raised the child, got into arts and crafts, because I was always a bit creative. Uh-huh. Um, and then started going to art shows and selling and knitting, all these things I have no idea how I would, I just learned because I had so much time on my hand. And um, did a bit of traveling as well. And Todd comes from a really amazing family, really supportive, real nice parents. Mm-hmm. And so it was really nice. Like it was a nice homely vibe. I was wearing like woolly cardigans and looking like a country girl. <laughs> <laughs> and there probably weren't too many Tongan people around in Pennsylvania, were there? No, not at all. I think what? we met a couple. That was a big deal. And any Islander, any brown person, I was always met, you know, checking, are they, are they Islander? Actually, there was one time we were in a random bar in yeah. a random little town. And I saw a guy, me and Todd, we were on our way to... Um, a town called Scranton and I saw this man and I was like I'm pretty sure this guy's an islander I looked at him and was like he's built like an island man his nose his eyebrows and I sure and I was like hey are you are you Simon he was like oh I'm Tongan that was like the best moment of my life <laughs> <laughs> and you know instantly there's that Tongan connection you start yeah. connecting the dog where you're from and you know immediately I felt like I had a brother um and that only happened twice. I was always looking for the Tongan. Another lady in a huge mall, um, a few years later, um, I, I knew she was Tongan because of her hair. Got that Moana hair going on. And I, I went up to her and I said, hey, are you, are you an islander? Like Polynesian? And yeah, so I was always looking for Pacific right. Islanders. <laughs> yeah. So your identity was still there looking out for yeah. other people, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. And But you came back to New Zealand. Like, what was the thought process there? You, yeah, we came back. We wanted to come back. Um, Todd had just graduated uh, in Lincoln University. Oh, okay. So we came back um, to be with, just be closer to my family and try and do something. Um, and it was, I think we've been here since then, up until now. And the thinking was just to establish ourselves and maybe stay here long term. 
-hmm. but now we're probably not sure about that we might go to Tonga um, and that was that was awesome I was able to study I don't I, I mean like I, I went back to uni really late at 29 mm -hmm. and that was crazy that was um four years into being married being back having no idea where we're heading obviously I'm not dancing anymore I'm like okay you know what you're nearing that age now where you have to start building or else it's too late. Like you can't, I don't know. In my mind, I, I thought I need to start creating what it is I want to do right now, right. building that foundation. And I was sitting outside in the front in my parents' house and I was, you know, I was thinking, man, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no qualification. I, the only thing I knew for certain is that I can do stuff. Like, if I put my mind to stuff, I can make it happen in, in my head. Right. Um, and I remember it was an evening and I sat there and I just thought, man, my God, what am I doing? And just so clearly God said, go back and study. You need to study just like that. So I signed up. I was working in New Zealand at the time and I thought, try to get into the HR team. And, yeah, a little bit snobby there. <laughs> um and it was hard, like trying, you know, life is all about opportunity. Mm. And if no one's willing to give me that opportunity with no qualification, with no crazy career or skills to your name other than customer service, like it's going to be really hard. To, it's not hard, but you're like, how do I get through this? Right. Um, so you needed, so God, you, you needed to get some sort of other skills or, you know, to get into different positions. Yeah, that's right. And I and I thought, man, I can't. I know I'm not made. Like I can't have lived this crazy upbringing, and then go through my, you know, like oh, I love God, and then all of a sudden, just like a switch, I'm now like, no, I'm going to the clubs. Then talk to me. I want to get wasted. You know, I thought, man, like I've learned so much. I've been through a lot. I this can't be it. This can't be life. Mm. Like I can't like going to the airport and working there, this can't be my life. Like my parents didn't like work hard to come here to, to, to not to a, a country that they don't even speak English um, for this. Like this can't be me. And that's why I really asked God and God just said, just go back and study. Mm. And I did. I went and did a three-year degree in like two years. Got pregnant in the last, last year with my daughter and, you know, my water broke during that last, that exam, <laughs> the oh, exam wow. of the last semester, you know, I was like, this baby, I'm going to graduate. God said, I'm going to graduate. This baby has to stay in there a little bit longer. Right. So after going to the bathroom, I went back to the exam. I stayed there for like another 30, 40 minutes to finish what I was doing. <laughs> um, wow. Drove myself from town all the way to Middlemore and they were just like, okay, you know, we need to have like an emergency C-section. We're going to strap it. And, and I had one more exam the next day. And I was like, look, you know, this is awesome. But what's going to happen to my exam? Like someone needs to talk to my lecturer because I can't be there. Right. And they looked at me like I was crazy. They're like, <laughs> but you're having, you're having a baby. <laughs> right. But in my mind, I just thought, you know, I can't, I can't let anything stop me. Like this baby is going to be okay as long as it's not. You know, nothing's happening. I know it's going to be fine. I just had to finish my exam. Of course, I wasn't thinking properly in the university. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs> they they allowed that, huh? <laughs> wow. Yeah, and it was um, it was interesting. And you know, it was just like once I graduated, it was just 
boom, 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 straight into work. Yeah. Got into the HR job that I had been working hard to get into. Okay. Got into HR. The child was only like maybe not seven months. Mm. Put her into daycare. I was like, you know what? Your mom is going to work. You're going to have to take care of yourself. Hopefully I come back and you're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just tell yeah, me, it, like you, you've described it's, I'm just really fascinated and interested. So, um, cause you'd been going to church quite regularly up until that age of 23 or whatever. And then, and then yeah. you said that you felt like God had spoken to you to go back to study and things. Were you yeah. getting back into church at that point or had it always been a relationship with God that had continued through the whole time that you were felt connected or yeah. What was that like? Yeah, I think for me, it was there was always a relationship. <clears throat> there was always a relationship, whether I was in church or not. And I was always really honest with God. Yeah. Because I'd seen firsthand, like, real stuff. Like, I remember um, when I was 19, I, I, I would spend a crazy amount of time in my room praying. And just, like, two hours, I'm still standing. I'm just, like, so happy <laughs> praying, <laughs> praying away. And in those moments, like... I um I remember like I started praying tongues in one of those times, mm -hmm. and like I've had some just really crazy experiences with God that um. So even if I wasn't going to church, I would just talk to him like, like man, God, I have no idea what's going on, but I know that if anyone knows, it's you, and I know I don't know, so I might as well rely on you. You're like the only best thing I've got going on right now. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a real trust there, no matter what. Even if people no had let you down or the, the church, the institutional church had let you down or other things, you still had that connection. And it's, yeah, it's, um, God is amazing. I, you know, like, yeah, been for a lot together. Yeah. And he's always been consistent, true to the, um, true that, to that scripture, the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. Mm. So I'd love to talk, uh, turn the conversation a little bit to talk about some of the things that you're involved in today. Um, and in particular, you know, this, the um, looking for ways that you're encouraging other Pacific people. Can you just describe some of the initiatives and things that you're doing? Yeah, so uh, myself and my husband, we're, you know, one of the co-founders for Four Shells Cover. Mm -hmm. And for us, it was part of like, why, you know, like, why are we not bringing, you know, beautiful parts of our culture to the forefront of Auckland City? Like, we don't deserve, we don't, we're not just, we don't just belong out south or like brown spaces. We should be anywhere and everywhere and we should be able to walk in different spaces and be comfortable. <clears throat> and it was that whole, like, let's redefine and shift the way we're thinking as, as you know, as a Tongan for myself. And also, you know, when I look, and um, there was the study but no, that I read, um, courtesy of Dr. Aporosa, he's from Waikato, and he's one of our big GABA researchers in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he shared with us an article about, um, in, in Australia, they did this uh, drugs harm test, that they took 22 substances like alcohol, cocaine, meth, GABA, and they tested it for what's the worst for your body. And, you know, on top, uh, that was just last year, actually, May 2019. Number one was alcohol, followed by cocaine, I believe. Right. All the way to the end was GABA. Yet, why is it that we're not tapping into our own culture, cultural stuff? 
that's actually good for us. Like I, I know the impact of um, alcohol in Pacific communities are horrendous and it leads to all these other social issues. Like why, why have we given into that thinking of, um, oh, and you talk to some islanders, they're like, oh, gala, isn't it that muddy thing? And I'm like, man, that gava is better for you than that alcohol. Mm. But we've, we've accepted, we've been conditioned to just accept that. And so that was part of, you know, putting the gava shop out was, guys, it's time to just bring parts of who we are to, to the forefront of, like, this Western culture because it's good for us, like, mm-hmm. you know. And starting to be able to have that um, conversation. So that was the Gava Shop, um, part of the Tonga Research Association, and they're based in Tonga. And, you know, amazing academics. You know, I love one of my favorite professors there is Hufanga uh, Augustino, and he talks about the whole Taba, uh, time and space, like it's an indigenous uh, theory of reality. And, you know, I learned that when I was doing my master's, I, I read a bit of, I read about his writing. And so part of the Tonga Research Association and just trying to bridge like research and bring it into like a, into our community so we can use it in a practical way. Mm. So can you explain and, um, just a little bit, like I, I'm sure we could have a whole podcast just on this, but Ta and Ba. What, yeah. is it, what does it mean when you're talking about indigenous ways of thinking and, and conceptions? And um, I'd be really curious to hear a little bit more. Yeah, it, um, I think in, in like a simple, you know, because there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of literature on, on this theory, but, you know, quite simply, it's, um, it's the idea that, you know, the walk, the past stands in front of us. So we walk forward into the past and backwards into the future. And it makes so much sense. Because when we look at like Ihumato, what is happening there? That's the past standing in front of us in the in the present, mm-hmm. confronting us to deal with what's happened in the past. So right. you know the past can stand in front. It's like this a circular, you know, circular idea of um, reality, which makes sense to like a Pacific worldview on how to on how we view reality. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes through like um, Western Western ways of thinking of past and future it's almost like the past is behind it's gone we just keep moving but when we put the past in front of us we learn we learn from it and so you know in simple terms that's what Dava is all about oh you have to talk to um the actual professor if you want his name afterwards he can talk about this stuff it is mind-blowing it's fascinating and i'm really really fortunate that i've been in the presence of him talking about it because i'm talking about it really simple but he's his his mind is just amazing well maybe you can set that up and i can interview him at some point and hear about that that would be awesome yeah i think there's different quotes that i love but one of them has to do with if you don't look at the past and learn from it you're going to repeat it again kind of that little bit of that conception maybe yeah that's right Mm. oh that's good and just with the um other things that you're involved in? Like, I think there's a long list, but what other things are you um, doing? Because you do something on a Tuesday, right? Is that a Zoom call or something? Ah, yes. So I just started um, Dalanoa Tuesday, and Dalanoa basically is a pan-Pacific term for conversation, storytelling, in a way that Pacific people do. You know, we can talk, we can storytell with, um, with joking and chatting and, and all that stuff. And when you, when you break the two words apart, dala means to tell, 
and Noah is um, a zero or a point of equilibrium. So Dala Noah is you're talking, you're chatting until you come to a new place of new understanding, new knowledge, new ideas. And, you know, um, Dala Noah, according to Professor Hufanga, it's, um, what is it, conversing critically yet harmoniously. And, and that's how, and that's the approach I take with Dala Noah. It's like, okay, let's start using these ideas of how we talk as specific people. But, um, but really the space was birthed out of wanting a space that resonated with myself as a, I consider myself maybe a more contemporary Tongan, but still the heart is so fresh. It's not even funny, <laughs> but the approach and the look I know is quite Western. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, and, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, like I, I've looked at other networks and stuff like that, but I just want to cut out the crap. Like I'm not interested in, um, you know, like trying to please people or trying. I'm like, guys, there's a whole community of Pacific entrepreneurs, grassroots initiatives that need support. And we're not giving them the support. Like, what are we doing for one another? You know, um, you know, because I felt like that gap between the really established Pacific businesses and the startups, there's this huge gap in between. And so what are we doing like to, to, to pull these people through so that there is this increase in Pacific businesses? Because, you know, when, and that's the heart behind what I do. And I'm like, you know, there's some stuff that we can do for free. Like I can give some social media tips. It's free. It's not going to cost me money. It's not going to cost me my business and it's okay. And at the same time, um, building like a network of people that are supportive. So changing the mindset of, um, you know, business. We don't, we don't need to comp- compete. Let's collaborate. Like, how do we do it in a specific way? We like to work together. So let's take this model that doesn't work for us and throw it in the rubbish bin and actually look at how we can support one another in a way that makes sense to us as, as Pacific people. And so we meet um, every every Tuesday on Zoom for an hour. And there's usually one, um, we always invite a guest and they come on and they share their story. And in sharing the story, you know, you you inspire and you empower and you build the other businesses' confidence. And and then we all also ask questions as well. Um, at the end of the hour, it's like an open foyer. So everyone who needs to go, you can leave and everyone else just stays around and chats and are you using are you using zero? Oh, how do you how are you finding them? And right. and it's um it's been actually really cool. It's been a real honor to hear hear these businesses. And all they need is support and, and honestly, just someone walking side by side, like, hey, we can do this, this journey together because it's going to be a long, long course. Mm. So <clears throat> let's support one another. And, you know, we're not getting any funding at the moment and stuff like that, but it, is, it has really been a trusting process in God. And I'm like, man, God, it's going to take one day at a time. And I know that, I don't know everything and that's all I need to know and that I trust in you and we'll just take it from here. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. It's a good approach. So it sounds like you're creating a space where people feel comfortable to share with each other and therefore yeah. from each other. And in a space that's like, you know, you know, when you're starting something new, you're just like, Oh my gosh, shame. Who am I? Like, <laughs> Oh, I don't have anything. Oh, who do you think you are? Like, 
it's like when you come into this space you're not who you know who you are right now is not who you're going to be in five years mm-hmm. and we just drill i i you know i am a big big believer in that and i'm like don't don't undersell yourself don't put yourself down because you're going to be amazing and it's that god god like you say you know, God doesn't see us for like who we are right now. He sees our whole life. He knows what's going what we're capable of, why we're born and what we're going to do. And so it's kind of bringing that into the space because where else are you going to hear that kind of conversation? <laughs> yeah. And actually and just, maybe sort of relates to the ta and va sort of concepts as well, that you're becoming somebody, you know, I, I actually have always felt this in my own life that, I want to make choices that make me a more interesting person so that yeah. one day in the future, I would want to meet me. You know what I mean? Like that, exactly. that but, it, but it's taking the positive steps to get to that point. And I think for me that when I had that realization, it was really important, you know, that, that I want to be active and proactive and, and grow and develop and be curious in order to become the person that I'm capable of being at some point in the future, which is that sort of linear, you know, our life goes on and at some point we will all die. (laughs) So how do we get to the point, um, which we might not otherwise, if we didn't have people encouraging us or to take a biblical thing, you know, iron sharpening iron, right? (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's right, man. That's so amazing. Because when I, when I was searching for social enterprise, like, it was amazing to me that I found guidelines with the stuff that you were doing. Right. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, like one, why isn't this stuff, why haven't I not seen it yet? Like, and I've, you know, I was, I've been in the business community for a year. I was like, why haven't I seen it? Why are we not sharing it? Like it was just, and it was cool because I read through it and the, even the terminology, some of the terms you were using, um, it was um, 2020. It wasn't like 1970s term. Like even I was like, oh, I can read this. Right. Um, <laughs> well, that's good feedback. <laughs> yeah. We had connected, I think, on Facebook, didn't we, originally, but didn't really get talk or anything. But you were asking. Yeah, that's right. Social enterprises even group that I'd set up. And then I think it was Saya who connected recently, like a week ago. <laughs> yeah, and it was so funny because I thought, hey, Wait, isn't that that guy on Facebook? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, it's great to hear some of the things that you're involved in. And what we'll do is in the show notes, we can put links to things. So make sure mm-hmm. to send me links to anything and I'll put them in there and we can describe them. Um, yeah. Was, was there anything else that you wanted to cover or, or mention? Um, I think I think that is it. Oh well, um, with this Delanoir Tuesday, um, so it's also myself and I have a business partner. Her name is Lisa, Lisa Falls. So between the the two of us, we've been running it, and um, yeah, if anyone can help us with some stuff, <laughs> yeah. What sort of people are you hoping will come along, or or what sort of help are you looking for? Um, I think um, at the moment, the help we're looking for is just, you know, like, uh, even yourself, if you came and had a chat just around, like, uh, formalizing legal structures and stuff, because this is honestly stuff we have no idea about. Sure. And then we're just, 
you know, like, and I think because it's so, it seems so technical that we, we don't even, we just kind of like, oh, let's just, let's just what see we how do? we go kind of yeah. 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 Um, and uh, yeah, it'll be cool if, you know, if others came and shared and um, just bridging that, being a bridge in the Pacific and Western world. That's no problem. I'm happy to come along. So let's set that up for some time. Just let me know a day and a time. <laughs> it's pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome because a lot of these guys coming through, you know, it's all um, it's all grassroots initiative. And you know what? That passion and the excitement, it's, it's so nice to see. And like um, just being authentic in what we're doing, but we just need a little bit more, I think, guidance from just people who have been there longer really <laughs> to yeah. be to say hey yep you're you you're okay you're doing well yeah because it was honestly amazing when i read your stuff like i i i was like why haven't i seen this already mm. and that was me searching so it was cool and i've shared that with a few of the girls <clears throat> because i think Sometimes when you're starting, you know, we can have the passion, but we need, we th- we need those um, know-how to do, like the accounting and yeah. legal structures. And what does that even mean? Like, what is the difference between a company and a charity and all that stuff? Like, well, I've, yeah, got but it's a bunch people, of people. I've got lots of people I know that I can connect you with. So I've got some accountant friends and others. I'm sure that we could get them involved. So, yeah. Yeah. And we have a network event on September 11th. So that will be really cool as well. <clears throat> and we'll, we'll, make, we'll bring it in, into the city. And again, the whole idea behind it is, you know, true to what we're pushing, like let's be able to walk both worlds. Like if we do something Pacific, it doesn't have to just be tougher cloths and Pacific patterns right. out, in, out south somewhere. Let's, let's just move. Let's just move. Let's be fluid and like move in different spaces. Because if we're doing business, we need to be on the same um, pages everyone else across the market and to be able to do that you need to move into other spaces and you know be okay Mm. well i think that in a way what you just said sort of encapsulates the whole interview for me because just hearing about your background and your childhood and you know your life coming to new zealand learning a new way of being in new zealand and then also hearing about your relationship with god as a very important factor for you you know like i think you've kind of learned to speak across different subsets or different subcultures and and that's really important for everybody so what we'll do is put in the show notes these yeah. links to different things and that way people can find um but yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for your time and and coming on the show i really appreciate it Oh man, thank you so much, Stephen. Oh my gosh, you, you ask questions I haven't even thought about those times in my life for so long. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, that's one of the aims, actually. Sometimes people I interview write me later and say that was actually helpful to go back in my childhood and remember, you know, and think about yeah. the questions. So, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, this is going really deep. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for being so open to go there. It was really good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, thank you. And if you have any questions, just let me know. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that interview with her now. For me, there are many things that stood out. In particular, I just loved hearing her perspective as an immigrant to New Zealand, because too often I end up talking with people who are very similar to me and don't have that different experience. 
I hope you enjoyed this as well. If you did, there's more than 190 others in the back catalog. And don't forget to hit subscribe, leave a rating and review, that would be awesome. And there's plenty more information at theseeds.nz. Check out the show notes for different links. Until next time. Mm-hmm.